Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a human centred design practitioner based in Dublin, Ireland. In this episode, I caught up with a great friend of the podcast, Andy Pillane. Now, most of you will probably be familiar with Andy's work with Fjord and also as co-author of Service Design from Insights to Implementation book on Rosenfeld Media, a book that has become one of the most defining service design books over the last number of years. If you haven't read it, I thoroughly recommend it. So I was hosting Service Design Days, a wonderful conference in Barcelona this year, and I had a whole lot of fun meeting the European service design community. It was a jam-packed few days for me and managed to capture some great conversations that all followed a similar theme to what myself and Andy covered in this episode. And that follows through from what I spoke about with John Thackera, um, which is an episode that we released recently, and that is that we need to consider not only what we produce but how we actually produce it. And Andy's keynote was fantastic, and we speak about this in more detail. I need some wonderful metaphors about how we have lost some of the natural cadence and craft through the new work processes like Agile and Lean. So also, before I jump into this episode, I want to let you know that I'm actually working on a very, very special newsletter for the podcast in the lead up to Christmas with lots of the world's best book companies and authors. So if you're not on the podcast newsletter, go over and sign up. This newsletter is going to include discounts and giveaways just in time for those Christmas stocking fillers. Right, I've done the sale. So let's get straight into this episode. So here we are, Andy Pillane. Warm welcome back to This Is HCD. Thank you. Nice to be here again. You're now at the top of the league for the most appearances on the podcast. This is your third time, isn't it? Yeah, I'll strike that off my bucket list now. (laughs) Absolutely. So look, we're coming from uh, the Service Design Days conference in Barcelona. And yesterday you gave the opening keynote, which was was really well received here, and um, it's still being spoken about this morning. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you were what you were chatting about. It was mindful service design. So it was. It was a talk around designing for the long term and or long term thinking and and mindfulness. And it's kind of scratching my own itch in a way. Um, I've seen a lot of the language around sort of sprints and you know MVPs and being fast to market and fail fast and move fast and break things has a place but it's also can get quite problematic if you that's all the only language you have which is just let's go as fast as we possibly can now for some things it doesn't matter so much if you make a mistake on something that's not very important in in life Hmm. but for services which are really part of the infrastructure of of society Hmm. so that's everything from you know welfare and healthcare and you know mobility and communications and so forth and you know including social media when those things break or are designed without thought of the long-term consequences, that's a real problem. Yeah. And that starts having a kind of massive effect. And so my, my plea was really to have a cadence where you can go fast and it's fine. And I had this metaphor of the four seasons of design. So, you know, in in spring, you've got the sort of early buds of an idea. And, and at that point in time, the, the designer's job is really also to kind of shield those early buds from being crushed by others. In summer is kind of launch time and everything's going 
great and everything sort of slightly gets out of control, like my garden at home. Yeah. And then in, in autumn, you start paring stuff back, you start repairing things, you start harvesting, you sort of thinking about, you know, what, so what, what's happened here? And you start that process of reflection. And in winter, you stop. Right? Mm. The nice thing about, at least in European, northern European winters, is you're, you're forced to stop. And, yeah. you know, the garden itself, so the, there was a whole metaphor about gardens, but the garden itself then you know, withdraws and everything kind of dies back and there's this moment of reflection and winter is traditionally quite sort of internal reflecting time. Yeah. And my, it was more of a, a plea as much as anything to say, you know, build this into your working life or your life in general, not just days, but weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, sprints, just make sure there's some of that time that you defend in order to have that kind of reflection time. So where do you think the, the need for speed comes from? Part of it's from, you know, Silicon Valley and the startup movement, which is you know, the, the classic kind of hockey stick curve mm. of, of growth, which is all about, you know, can you grow fast enough to uh, disrupt the incumbent quicker than the incumbent can change to, to defend against the disruption and also, you know, before you run out of investment money. And so there's this sort of constant thing about getting fast to market. And obviously digital has enabled that um, to, be, to be at speed. But what happens is the language around that and the kind of ways of thinking about that sort of, perpetuate themselves so mm. you and i work in an industry where we're designing stuff and there's always the pressure to do it quicker and faster you know quicker yeah. and, and so forth in turn we expect all the tools and services that we use to be as quick as possible you know yeah. and if i have to what, what i have to wait a week to order something that's outrageous i should be able to get the next day and so forth which in turn you know our expectations is someone else's problem who we give we're giving them less time so you know in general we kind of perpetuate the cycle amongst ourselves so looking at the way people are currently working in all disciplines as regards to design, and they might be in an organization that's really you know, urging them to work quicker, what would you say to them to take the message back to their boss and say, actually, you know what, we need to factor in the need for reflection on what we're doing? I know there will be plenty of designers in the audience going, well, that's all very well, that's a nice idea, mm. but you know, we just don't have time for that. Yeah. Uh, but that's a bit like the whole sustainability argument of, now, well, that's great, but you know, where's the business case for it? So, well, there's things that you know you have to do. Mm. And the same is true with time. You know, time is a, also a limited resource and you spend it where you deem important. And so if you say, this thing is really important to me, then you prioritize it and that gets defended. And you know, the same thing happens as soon as you have kids, for example. All the things where you say, well, you know, I, I really have to stay late tonight to do this. That goes away, right? Just yeah. like, I've got to pick my kid up from school. I'm sorry, I have to go. Everything else has to go around that immovable object. So, so you, you have said, to you, that, that need is, is equivalent to that in, the, in that metaphor. Well, I think you need to turn that space into an immovable object. Mm. Now, it doesn't have to be massively disruptive either. And in general, it makes people much more productive, makes them, it gives them that extra time for the polish of work. Mm. But part of it's also thinking about where are things that I'm kind of hanging on to process, where, you know, this is the way we have to do this. And I can't possibly move on to the next step until I've done this particular method yeah. or completed it in the way that I learned it and so forth. That kind of dogmatism can easily become a kind of procrastination where you know, don't want to move on to the, say, the next stage of synthesis or ideation, which is often a, a kind mm. of psychologically a little bit of a kind of awkward stage sometimes or difficult stage. Just just one more interview, and if I could just get one, more, you know, I, it I makes sorry, the data better. Yeah, more. and it's like, oh, just one more book from the library, and I just, you know, and it's all actually kind of procrastination yeah. often. And I think that you know, you can you can save time, and I don't. I, research is important. I really believe mm. in it, but there are areas where you can save time and think, you know, 
I need to do that just enough because for me, the period reflection or time out is as important or more important yeah. than doing yet another kind of piece of whatever work I'm going to be doing. So what do you say to people whose argument is that this is already included in the agile process in the retrospective? It's great if it is and if it's real. Sometimes I've seen those agile retros be um, quite sort of factual or sort of technical about you know mm. whatever kind of the validation was and that's what we're going to do next. Very macro. Yeah, and they, they are very sort of tactical and they work very... But you know, people saying, you know, I've been feeling like this or I can't keep working like that or I, I really need to spend some time on this or I need to have mm. kind of, um, you know, the emotional human side of things. Uh, that stuff also needs to come up too and be in there. And I think that's a, perhaps a, a difference between, um, you know, sort of design and engineering. And I, I don't mean that in a sort of dismissive way at all, just culturally a difference between the sort of emotional space that designers often need and it's just like a clear headspace or a kind of bit of time out to reflect and let the kind of process digest and work mm. compared to um, something that's much more of a kind of just moving forward onto the next build. So if you had, and you obviously do at Fjord, you, you're able to change the way people are working and your role is uh, in the evolution team, what would it look like if you were to include this in the design process? Like just to give it a bit more granular clarity as regards... When do you implement it and how often do you see it being implemented? I imagine that um, many of my Fjordian colleagues would be listening to this and going, oh, come on, Andy, you're just making <laughs> this up. You know, we're working our asses off. The I'm, whole I'm time. sure they are. Yeah, and I'm sure they are. And so that was what the, the talk was really about. Um, and the reason why I call it about mindfulness, because mindfulness isn't necessarily about getting it right all the time. Mindfulness is about being aware. So if you can build it into the process. And so we've had, I've, we had a team in Australia working on something and they, had this, they did this thing called Lion Time and Tiger Time, which I really liked. And I don't know if they've got this from somewhere else, but they had this thing where um, you know, tigers hunt on their own mm. and lions hunt in packs. And so they would divide up the day and they'd say, okay, from this period of time, you know, from this morning we're, we're in Tiger Time. And you know, so that's you know, headphones on, I'm concentrating on the stuff I, might, I need to do. And then after lunch, we're going to have some lion time where we're going to have discussions about things. You're in a pack. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just being clear that that's how the team's going to work. And those also become sort of self-policing norms. So there'll be other things where people are saying, you know, you need to leave now, Jerry, because you've told us that your yoga class is Mm. really important on Tuesday nights and and you're going to miss it. And so that kind of thing gives a sort of behavioural permission to actually look after yourself. So... It extends beyond the delivery of a service. It, it extends to the employee experience and making sure that the well-being of the designer is, is actually being looked after. Yeah, and yeah, it is. And, and I think some of that, though, is you know, it becomes a personal thing. But if it's also then part of a team, it becomes part of the kind of project process, and and you get those kind of behavioural norms and cultural norms of this is how projects work, and then that becomes part of your process. Yeah. Now, some teams might go. Uh, we don't need this at all, we just kind of power through because we're so great. And, and that's fine if that works for them, but I have seen enough kind of sense of, do you know what, I just need a bit of space mm. from, you know, not just from designers, say, within Fjord, but also in client teams and stuff, where it's clear that there's just too much going on. Yeah. And everyone kind of benefits from it. I just, it could just be a couple of hours. It could just be as disciplined as making sure you actually go out for lunch and don't eat at your yeah. desk. I know, like, I, I gave a talk recently and I nicked a quote from Marsha McLuhan, which you reminded me of in one of the earlier podcasts about we shape our tools and therefore our tools shape us. So where do you think this approach fits in within, like the, I guess, the design thinking process and the ability to alter it and how that relates to design craft? 
I think one of the big misconceptions about design thinking is that the idea that the thinking happens up front and then you just get on and do stuff. Mm. And I think that's happened because it's still kind of seen in, in terms of a kind of industrial process. So we do mm. some planning and then we go into a kind of manufacture. Which is like a waterfall approach anyway. Yeah, yeah. So whereas as any, actually as any person knows, but certainly as any designer knows, um, that's a third of the thinking. Most of the thinking's happening whilst you're doing. Yeah. And I often say, you know, as an example, if you've ever had to have a difficult conversation with someone, you had to break up with someone, you've had to fire someone, or, and you've lain awake all night going, so I'm going to say that, and then she's going to say this, and then I'm going to say that. And, and as, you know, it actually happens, and as you open your mouth, and it all just goes completely off the rails. It doesn't mm-hmm. go to plan at all. That happens a lot, right? So you're designing something, and you realize, oh, I've, we've designed it. Now I've actually made that tangible, uh, we've designed ourselves into a corner and I, I have to kind of think, rethink that. Or that brilliant idea that was a kind of platonic ideal of an idea, as soon as it's made real, it's, it doesn't make sense at all. Now I see it, it doesn't make sense. Or those three things that I thought were separate are now one thing. All of that kind of reflective practice, it's the Donald Schoen stuff, hmm. happens whilst you're designing. And there's a, a whole process of kind of doing that goes yeah. on. And so... That hand to mind connection. Yeah, and you do need that, and you know, and that's also what Donald Schoen talked about. You you do need this kind of process of I'm going to plan, I'm going to think, and then I'm going to do some doing, and I'm going to be doing some thinking whilst I'm doing, mm. and then I'm going to look at what I've done and think about it. Yeah, and then I do some more doing. And if you try and short circuit that too much, all you're doing is just doing, 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 and you're the lack of long term thinking whilst you're sprinting like that. I mean, it's it's like kind of running along just looking at your feet. Mm. But at some point, you, you, you're going to hit the wall. You hit the wall. Yeah. yeah, so you need to look where you're going. There was a great story you told, and I was definitely able to, to connect with the story. I remember the old days of when you used to use Photoshop and you had, you know, you'd add a blur. In my case, I was, I was zip file time, so yeah. you'd hit save and then we'd go so for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd come back from Spar. I was in uh, NCAD, obviously, and there was a Spar shop there. And I would literally be able to go the five-minute walk down get a roll, uh, like a sandwich for anyone in America, and bring it back and it would just be in time to, to you know, collect the, the saved file. Yeah. But in that time I was able to, you know, reflect on what I was doing in the work. You know, how can we incorporate that type of thinking into the day-to-day? So that goes back to the McLuhan quote, right, which is, you know, we, of this thing of mm. we shape our tools and thereafter they shape us, that, you know, if you've got a tool, if you're using a processor at all that um, has some kind of enforced moment of kind of pause in it because mm. you know the, the progress bar is, is rendering then you're forced to kind of think about something i used to read a book quite often and you know, it's often a book related to maybe what i was doing and john, it was john warwicker from tomato who said you know i used to really like it when computers were slow because I'd, I'd be able to think about things you know? yeah um, you know when you've got tools that are kind of incredibly fast and you just be able to kind of work very very quickly without any kind of enforced break of any kind you know, um then your tools shape your thinking. Right? Mm. And then if you start using language around sprinting and so forth, and again, I'm not demonizing sprinting, it's a very good format, but yeah. what I'm saying is the language also sets up the mental model mm. and all the kind of ways you think about that stuff. And, and the reason why I put the Usain Bolt quote up there, you know, yeah. fastest man in the world, and his, the quote from him is about sleep and how important sleep is to him. Absolutely. I remember when we caught up the other night, um, I was telling you the story about John Cleese, who's a very famous, he's a member of Monty Python, he was writing the script for um, Faulty Towers, and he wrote it, and then he lost it before he had to submit it to the BBC. And then um, he was forced to rewrite it. And then a number of years later, when he was going through a divorce, he found the first script. And he saw that the first script that he'd written 
was um, not as good as the, the one that he rewritten with the second script. And he was his argument was the subconscious worked in that time in the difference between the first script and the second script and was considerably better. So I guess I'm, I'm seeing those kind of parallels between the stories in terms of being able to take that time to reflect. So what role do you think um, subconscious, I guess, plays in the design process? I think there's a, a massive role in that. And I'm married to a psychotherapist, so mm. I, I, it, but I think it's also... You know, I always say I've done a lot of writing and I used to have a design column for a design magazine called Desktop in Australia and every month I'd have to turn out a thousand words. And you right. know, I've also done long form writing that book and PhD and stuff. And with those things, the thing I really learned was you do your planning, you've got a sort of an idea about what you want to write and then you do the writing and whilst you're doing the writing you don't do any editing at all and that's really mm. important. And that's where the kind of raw material is coming out and you're just letting yourself go. And there's a great book called Writing Down the Bones by a woman called Natalie Goldberg and she, she talks about letting yourself write shit. Yeah. And you really have to, like, the first three or four paragraphs, I, I'm, I'm literally having to override the inner editor going, this is rubbish. And, yeah. and go, yeah, yeah, no, this is rubbish and that's okay. But power through it. Yeah, and power through it. And then, having done the writing, and preferably with a little bit of time in between, you go back and you restructure or you, ed- mm. you edit. And so you go, well, you know, my writing went kind of off plan, but actually where I've gone to is much more interesting, so I'm mm. going to restructure. Or yeah. my writing went off plan, I really need to edit that back to get it back to the structure. But that process of um, separating those two is really important because that's how you avoid analysis paralysis. So if you've yeah. ever been a person who's sat there for an hour writing the first paragraph or the first sentence of something you've had to write, which is most of us, yeah. that's what's going on, right? You're muddling those two processes up. And I'm mm. convinced that those two need to be kept separate. And that's part of what I guess I'm arguing about with, yeah. with this. I think that's a nice way to, to wrap up the conversation. I'm going to put a link to the, the presentation in the show notes. For anyone who wants to contact you, tell us how, how they might reach out to you. So I'm Apolane almost everywhere. So A-P-O-L-A-I-N-E on Twitter. You'll find me on LinkedIn. And, and the Slack channel. And, and the, the Slack channel too, yeah, yeah. yeah. You drift in and out of the, the Slack channel. You're like an enigma. You just come in, just at me in the Slack, just Slack channel. I have a bit of a discipline. That's actually a, a mindfulness thing. So I, I think that was one of those Tristan Harris things actually about time well spent. But I have a thing where um, a policy about I only set notifications from people, not machines, on my phone. So yeah. if it's any kind of messaging thing that gets through, if it's directed at me, if it's just some kind of nudge from some app, it doesn't come through, it gets turned off. That might be another thing to be chat about in the podcast in the future. Andy, great chatting to you again. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can request to join the Slack channel and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time.